Let's take a look at Luke 5. Luke chapter 5. There's a, um, there's a parable that appears in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it's the one that we're going to look at here in Mark chapter 5, verse 33, when Jesus is asked about fasting. We'll go with Luke's version of it because he adds a little extra line at the end. Um, uh, a little more information in here. But the, but the message and the point of the parable is the same. Starting in verse 33, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do, so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they'll have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for they say, the old is better. First of all, Let's understand what's going on here in the image that, that Jesus is using. Uh, because um, some of you may be quite familiar with this, and it makes sense. I have to admit it was years before I even understood what was going on here. Because um, I didn't grow up with wine and wineskins. Uh, didn't really understand what was going on there. Uh, any wine we ever saw, whenever we did see wine, which was rarely, was in a bottle. Um, <clears throat> but you know, wine in the fermentation process is going to release some gases, and so it's going to expand. Just like when you put ice in a container. I know it's not the same chemical process, but when you put ice in a container and it freezes and the water actually expands. You know, so you have to be careful what you put in a freezer, otherwise it's going to bust it. Well, wine, you're going to put it into a wine skin, which is uh, the skin of an animal made into a, a sort of a bottle that contains the wine as it ferments, and it's going to be sealed up. And while it's doing that, it's going to stretch. It's going to have some give. Now, if the skin is a fresh skin, it's still got some elasticity to it, and it's going to be able to stretch with that fermentation process. But an old skin is going to be hardened. It's, going to, it's not going to have that give. And so if you put the new wine in the old wine skin, thinking that you're saving yourself a wine skin, you're actually going to find out that during that fermentation process, it's going to bust the old, inflexible wine skin. And not only are you going to lose your wine skin, you're going to lose your wine. So what you thought was a saving measure actually becomes, comes out to be a double waste. The part about the cloak and the garment is that uh, fabrics, you know, some fabrics nowadays, we, we have synthetic fabrics, you don't have to deal with this as much, but you put some garments in the, in the wash and the, the hot water and everything else is going to cause it to shrink. 
So if you take a piece of new cloth, or the way Luke tells it here, if you take it out of a new garment, that even makes less sense, but makes the point. And you patch an old shrunken cloth with it, then during that process it's going to shrink up and it's going to draw that in and it's going to ruin both pieces of cloth. So here's Jesus' image, something that they would readily understand. It's just not the thing that's done. And again, we can use ice as a more updated one. You know, you're not going to put, you're not going to fill a plastic container or a glass container all the way to the top and stick it in the freezer. Otherwise, it's going to bust. But I like the idea that Jesus has brought in the old and the new. And and, and, And the point of these stories as you hear them is, you know, that's, that's just not done. New cloth on an old piece of cloth? Eh, you don't do that. It doesn't make sense. No, it's not done. To put new wine in an old wine skin? No, that's just not done. As Jesus is telling this, everyone who hears it can agree, yeah, that's just not what you're supposed to do. Why? Because it's not appropriate. It's not appropriate to what you are attempting to do. You're attempting to patch a garment and you're using the wrong piece of cloth. You you wouldn't do that. It just doesn't fit. You're attempting to preserve wine and you would have to match new wine with new wineskins. Old wine is in old wineskins. It's appropriate. It's the appropriateness of it that determines your course of action. So Jesus is saying something about What's appropriate, given the situation? The question he's asked is, why aren't your disciples fasting? Why, now, to, 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 to roll it back just a bit, let, let's, let's figure out why fasting is the question that they ask. Um, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. And it sounds a bit like a critical question, Tell us why your guys are, you know, living it up. They're eating and drinking. They're, they're having a feast. Meanwhile, the disciples of the Pharisees and John's disciples, both of those groups are standards of righteousness. They, they fast regularly. Why don't you teach your disciples to fast? That's the question. Fasting was one of the three acts of um, piety in, in Jesus' day and age. Um, we, we don't practice fasting that much. We've got an event coming up in January where we're going to commit ourselves to 24 hours of prayer and fasting. I think fasting needs to be optional. I think prayer is optional, but I think you benefit from both. Seriously, prayer is optional, but why on earth anyone would want to neglect prayer is beyond me. Uh, you, you should pray, but don't pray because it's a ritual or a rule. Pray because you want to communicate with God and you want to ask Him and you want Him to uh, encourage you in the, the discipline of prayer. Well, it's the same way with fasting. We don't fast in order to get God's attention or to prove to God how pious we are. But in Jesus' day and age, there were appointed fasts. Now, again, there was not wholesale agreement on this. You have your appointed fast days um certain certain holidays day of atonement is definitely a fast and then they had a day of fasting for uh later on after the destruction of the uh, temple where some of the jews would practice that 
But we also have regular weekly fasts going on by the time you get to the day and age of Jesus. And it was sort of a, it was a sign of those who were really dedicated in their service to God. Uh, let me show you, well, uh, Luke 2, verse 37, if you just run back to Luke 2, uh, a few chapters back, and we're told about the prophetess Anna, the daughter of Penuel. This is verse 36, 236. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Why include that detail that she's fasting and praying? It's meant to show us that she's uh, a particularly pious person. She cares about uh, God and what God is doing, and she spends a lot of her time in the temple. Okay. Skip over to Luke 18, 12, another parable. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, one represents sort of the common, ordinary, not even ordinary, the below average person. The, uh, he's also called the, well, he's a tax collector. That's worse than below average. That's, that's, that's beneath failing. Okay, he's a traitor. He's a, uh, uh, I think, you know, some of the accounts of this parable, he's the publican, uh, the publican and the Pharisee. But the tax collector uh, goes up to the temple and he just says, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's his prayer. The Pharisee, though, is described, Jesus describes him as um, a man who goes up to the temple and he prays, God, I thank you, I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. And he says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And so he, he, he's become kind of a comical figure of self-righteousness there. He thanks God that he's better than everybody else. But two of the things that mark him out are his fasting twice a week, which again was, was sort of a, a common practice that there were two fast days a week. It was usually Mondays and Thursdays um, is what we get from the writings of that period. And then he gives a tenth of everything, just like in Matthew 23 when Jesus calls the Pharisees out and says, you're very meticulous about giving a tenth. Even, you'll even go into your spice rack with your precious spices and you'll measure out a tenth and give that away. But you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Uh, so here's giving and fasting and praying, the three chief acts of piety that mark out the godly people. That, that uh, you know, If you want to wear your religion on a sleeve, this is how you do it. Now, I don't think Jesus is anti-fasting. He's not opposed to it. But he answers their question with this parable about appropriateness. And he answers a question with a question. The question is, you know, for example, they ask, why don't your disciples fast? He could just say, well, because I don't want them to. Or... Uh, well, they probably should. Instead, he answers with a question that explains everything. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? 
If the bridegroom is there, then you're going to have a celebration. If the friends of the bridegroom are hosting the bridegroom, there's going to be a feast. It's a happy occasion. It's a celebration. Uh, The bridegroom, you you go back even into uh, Isaiah, the bridegroom had become an image of the Messiah. Now, at the time of Jesus, that that image is probably still developing. And, And certainly after the writing of the Gospels, Jesus is definitely connected with the bridegroom and the church as the bride. But even in his own time, there's this idea that the bridegroom is the Messiah. But, but I don't even know that you have to spiritualize it that much. This could also be an explanation just from common sense, everyday existence. Look, when the bridegroom's there, you, you celebrate. He's saying, I'm here. I'm here with my disciples. I'm going to be taken away from them, but I'm here now. Isn't it more appropriate that we celebrate? Then comes the parable about what's appropriate given a situation. He's saying that in the kingdom of heaven, with the presence of of God, fasting is inappropriate for that moment. Now, this is again this isn't a hard and fast rule against fasting Uh, but it is a criticism of fasting done as ritual to try to win over the affection of god Um, you look at some of the, the the writings of jewish history before this and after um, you remember Jonah, when Jonah goes to Nineveh and uh, the people of Nineveh repent. And uh, everybody, well, it's, it's, I, I love this. Take a little look at yeah, Jonah back there. Um, Amos, Joel, Jonah. Um, this is a new Bible and I'm not finding it. Um, Oh, well, at the end of Jonah, you know, they declare a fast. And, um, you know, even the livestock get in on the action. You know, the, they, they, uh, everybody's fasting because everybody's going to get destroyed. Uh, if, you, if you ever find a copy of the apocryphal books, there's one of them called uh, Judith, the book of Judith. And um, chapter 4 of Judith tells the story of a... Um, someone who's going to come and attack Israel. And so they're so scared about it, they enter into a time of fasting, and everybody gets into it. They even make the little kids fast. The little kids have to fast. They even make the livestock fast. Why? Because they're trying to persuade God to protect them. Now, if you think about it, you know, the, cattle's and, the cattle and pig aren't being fed, but they don't get the idea that this is a religious fast. You know, they're just going hungry. Um... The um, well, they don't have pigs. I had pigs, but they don't have pigs. And uh, our pigs knew when it was time to eat, and and they uh, and they get kind of cranky if you didn't show up in time. But but all the livestock is participating in this fast. They don't have any idea. The little babies are participating in this fast. They don't have any idea what's going on. But here's the extreme attitude of fasting: that if we fast, we'll demonstrate to God just how pious and religious we are and then he'll give us favor 
why would Jesus use the image of the bridegroom with his friends? Maybe what he's saying is, you don't have to win God's favor. You already have it. The bridegroom is here. The Messiah is here. The Son of God is with you. Why do you have to show him that, um, that you need his favor? You don't have to convince God. God's already acted first. So it's more appropriate to enter into a time of thanksgiving. Now, obviously, there's going to be times when um, it's, it's appropriate to fast. And certainly times when it's appropriate to mourn. Uh, but he's saying when, when God is with you in the way that he's with his disciples now, this is not the time for mourning. He'll be taken away, then there will be time for mourning. But not now. And so Jesus has presented a way of behavior in the kingdom that's not based on a rigid application of rules. That we're going to do this because it's commanded, and the more that we do this, the more we're going to behave like this. When that starts to happen, there's a kind of rigidity that sets in. And I think that's why he's included this last line. That people, after tasting old wine, say, oh, well, you know, old wine's better. That's a closed-minded attitude. Ah, everything old is. I had a college student once. He told me, he said, you know, any song written after 1900 is just no good. I said, what? Why 1900? What happened in 1900 that that becomes the line? You know, do you have other criteria, or is it just the the mere fact that it's old? Vice versa, you can have people say, you know, I don't like old stuff. I I always run into this when uh, people ask me what some of my favorite movies are, and I'll name, you know, some of them. Casablanca, I like Casablanca. Ah, it's black and white. Don't like black and white movies. Why not? They made them in black and white because, well, you know, color was too expensive. You know, they would have made it in color if they, but, you know, wh- why? Uh, just, I don't like old movies just because they're old. Anytime that that rigidity sets in, that old and new become virtues in and of themselves, this must be good because it's old. This must be good because it's new. Watch out. That's where we're starting to leave behind appropriateness And instead, we're moving into the realm of preferences and power and control. We're going to choose what we want. We like it because it's old, because it's the way we've always done it. No one's, we're just going to do it that way. Or we're going to do this because it's new, and that's the way we want to do it, and, and this will be better. Jesus says, instead of choosing on that basis, what if instead we do what's appropriate given the situation? For Jesus, the, the, this parable is not, the standard is not ritual, the standard is relational. If God is with you and he's showing his favor, it's appropriate to feast. Now, another reason I chose Luke is, Luke will complete the story with Acts, okay? If you think about that, then some of this, uh, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say, the old is better. Think about those who they, they witness the power of Jesus, they witness the resurrection, and still they won't let go of their old ways. And the preaching of Stephen and the preaching of Peter convicts them, and, you know, and still they, they, they won't listen to it. And they say, uh, you know, you're, you're stiff-necked, you're just like your ancestors, you're stubborn. Nah, doesn't matter. We like our way. And um, it also... 
predicts what it will be like when they get together, when the disciples get together. All the believers have everything in common. And what do they do when they get together? They fellowship. They eat and drink. They they worship together with gladness because it's a new spirit. And this spirit can't be contained in the old categories that have become so rigid. You have to find it. And then here's another reason. I think this parable is good. There is, a, there is a glimpse of the resurrection in this. Because the resurrection doesn't fit into one of our pre-made categories. You have to have a new category to fit resurrection into. It will not go into an old wineskin of religious thought where God is distant and you have to do things to prove to God that you, uh, to keep him happy, to please him, to win his favor. The appearance of Jesus Christ has created an all new spirit, an all new wine, an all new way of doing things, a new garment that says God has come close to us. There's a lot packed into this one parable. And, um, again, I think that's why Jesus teaches with the parables. Um, Because it opens us up to new ways of thinking about the kingdom that we couldn't have access to any other way. So, go ahead and look on your own time at uh, Mark and Matthew and see their uh, take on the parable of the wineskins and the old cloth and the new cloth. We're going to... um, Sing a song now, and if you need to partake of the Lord's Supper, that's been uh, set up for you in room 100. So let's stand, let's sing, and then Lee will dismiss us.